You are listening to an EYFS Risk Podcast. This is the first in a series bringing you news and views on emerging issues in the financial services risk and regulatory environment. Today we're talking about the new product design and distribution obligation requirements, also known as DDO. Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to this EY podcast. Thanks for joining us. My name is Douglas Nixon and I'm the lead partner for financial services risk management in the Oceania region based here in Sydney. Today we're talking about the new product design and distribution obligation requirements, also known as DDO. On today's podcast, we'll cover the imminent start of the product design and distribution obligations and the strategic opportunities and challenges the DDO regime presents to the Australian financial services industry. We all know the DDO regime is pretty complex. It will herald wide-ranging change for financial services businesses. So I've gathered together two EY partners with extensive experience in the product governance and the DDO regime. Abigail Filyun is the DDO lead partner in our Sydney office. She's on assignment in Sydney out of our London practice, bringing with her extensive experience in implementing product governance requirements in the UK over the last decade. Thanks, Doug. Really happy to be here and looking forward to sharing some of the good practice and some of the lessons we learned uh, when we rolled this out in the UK market. Thanks, Abigail. Joining Abigail is Elena Humphreys, out of ASIC's policy division and now the DDO lead partner in our Melbourne office. Elena, you were at ASIC for eight years. What policy regimes did you work on? Well, I worked on DDO, Doug, um, but I also worked on elements of quite a few other policies that complement DDO such as breach reporting and complaints. And now you're advising on the DDO regime. Tell us, what does it actually involve? Well, in a nutshell, Doug, the DDO regime requires two things. First, for financial products to be designed to meet the objective, needs and financial situation of an identified target market of consumers. And second, for those products to be sold to consumers in that target market. And it only applies to retail customers, not wholesale customers? That's right, Doug. Uh, The target market's central to the DDO regime. As a product issuer, you'll have to recall the target market of a product in a document called a Target Market Determination, or TMD. You'll also need other information in the TMD, like the product's key attributes and how it will be sold. The regime is a big deal. It means if you're selling financial products, you need to have controls in place to make sure you're selling those products to the target market. You'll also need to collect information like sales and complaints data and pass it back to issuers. This is because issuers need to monitor the product's performance and periodically check that it's meeting the needs of the target market. So it's fair to say then this will be a big change in focus for financial services firms? Absolutely. But it's really important to remember that this change represents an opportunity. Yes, at one level, DDOs are compliance obligations. And as we all know, compliance equals cost and effort. But there's so much more than that. I believe DDOs represent a golden opportunity for firms to achieve their goals of being truly customer-centric. I don't underestimate the scale of the challenge of implementing DDOs. It will no doubt require a significant effort across the business. Firms that get it right will be creating products that respond to customer needs and selling their products to consumers who will benefit from purchasing them, a virtuous circle. So 
Alina, what sort of guidance has the regulator given us on how to go about this? In December last year, ASIC released its final DDO guidance. RG274 is pretty helpful. It looks at each aspect of the requirements for issuers and distributors, and there are some good examples and case studies. The guidance is principles-based, which is good. It's not too prescriptive, and I'm all for it. On the flip side, it doesn't give the industry any clear-cut rules or checklists. Each organisation can shape their change program to suit their own unique requirements. Businesses will need to have a risk-based approach to implementing the DDO regime. This means it's really important to clearly record why you've made decisions and what settings you've applied to meet the requirements. Look, I'm all in favour of a principle and risk-based approach. It'll allow businesses to apply the DDO obligations in a way that makes sense for them, taking into account the size, scope and nature of their business. But it also means there's a lot of work involved in demonstrating that you've met the obligations. Abigail, you've had considerable experience with the DDO regime in Australia and implementing the product governance requirements in the UK. How much work will be involved in preparing for this change? So when I first read RG274, I was struck but, but really pleased by how much it emphasised the need for robust and effective product governance arrangements. And what that means is that businesses will have to have well-documented and well-embedded product governance arrangements that cover each stage of the product lifecycle, not just product design. So it's really important for firms to recognise that DDO doesn't start and end with implementing TMDs. That's just the starting point, really. This is about driving good consumer outcomes right across the product lifecycle, which means possibly more change than some of our listeners are preparing for. So Abigail, what will that look like? Well, the DDO regime is going to touch every part of a business uh, and it can be really tempting to see this as a regulatory change, but I prefer to think of it as a strategic business change driven by regulatory requirements. And like all good strategic change, it's gonna call for a coordinated effort across a range of areas of your business. So that's going to include product, risk, compliance, technology, strategy, brand, marketing, and legal. And as Alina said, it's not just about meeting new regulatory requirements. Um, so in the UK, leading firms, we're embracing the new focus on product governance as a means of adding value to the customer experience. So for example, they use more targeted customer research, they invested in better product design, they tracked how customers were using products beyond point of sale. And all of these activities gave them opportunities to not only drive better outcomes, but also to increase brand loyalty, customer stickiness and product usage. So ultimately, this is a good thing for everyone. So you've both mentioned a focus on good customer outcomes, but what new capabilities will our listeners need to deliver that customer centricity? Doug, I'll jump in on this one. To help customers buy products that are appropriate for their needs, circumstances and objectives, and to meet the requirements of the regime, you're going to have to upgrade your capabilities in a number of areas, particularly around data capture and monitoring. A key component will be monitoring how a product actually performs in the hands of customers in the target market. You'll need to move beyond simply tracking distribution at the point of sale. You'll also need to test that products are operating as intended. This is where you'll have to capture and monitor both quantitative and qualitative information. Complaints will also need to move to the next level. You need to know, what are your complaints telling you? Not just complaints numbers, 
but the stories behind the complaints. If it's an insurance product, what are metrics such as claims and loss ratios telling you? Is there customer feedback on sites such as Glassdoor that can give you insights? And what are your frontline operators telling you about the customers who are buying the products? If it becomes clear that products not producing good customer outcomes, then you'll need to reconsider its design and distribution. And I think just to add to the picture that Alina's just painted, one of the great things that really came out of the UK experience was that we saw a real shift towards customer research happening before product ideation. So firms were doing more extensive research to understand customers' objectives, interests and characteristics before they ever got to the product design stage. Previously, many firms designed a new product and then tested it without really understanding what need or objective was being met. Now everything is far more consumer-led and firms are taking a stronger research approach to product development, testing at different points of the product design phase. And it's also worth noting that ASIC has made it crystal clear it expects businesses to use their existing knowledge and experience about how consumers are influenced to achieve DDO objectives. And in the UK, firms harness the capabilities and information in the marketing department. That's definitely one of your first ports of call as you look to resource your DDO capability. It's, it's really interesting that the UK regime drove a real shift in the thinking about product design taking a research-led approach that really put customers and consumers at the heart of the design process. Abigail, what other impacts did you see in the UK market? Well, we saw a lot of change over an extended period of time, but I think some of the key ones that jump out for me, um, so significant product rationalisation and simplification. And what we saw that was when firms started to consider how they could effectively manage their product portfolio, a lot of them realized the volume and complexity of products was very high, making it difficult for customers to make good choices. This was all happening at the same time as there was a big shift towards digital channels and more self-serve capabilities. So helping consumers to make better financial decisions was really critical. While neither the UK nor Australia regulatory regime includes pricing regulation, we saw an increased focus on this concept of fair value pricing and addressing high underlying cost structures of products. We also saw firms with a real focus on considering the needs and objectives of vulnerable customers in the context of the overall product suite and distribution channels. And I'm really pleased to see there's a similar focus here, particularly given the current world health crisis. Thanks, Abigail. Any key takeaways for our listeners? Probably one thing I'd say, Doug, is that while getting ready to implement the DDO regime will be a lot of work for some firms, there's definitely going to be flow on benefits, particularly if you give yourself a good amount of time to get ready and prepare in a coordinated way. So as we know, the DDO obligations will take effect on the 5th of October this year. What's your advice to listeners whose firms are still in the early stages of implementing the DDO obligations? Well, first be aware that implementing DDO is going to require careful planning to identify the key steps you need to undertake the decisions you need to make, and really how best to sequence those activities. You need to identify the teams or business areas that will be involved and set your timeframes working back from the 5th of October. But remember, this needs to be in effect on the 5th of October, so build in enough time to test the new arrangements. Secondly, assess your existing product governance arrangements against each of the DDO obligations this is going to help you to understand your current state and identify exactly what you need to do to comply with the DDO regime. 
Then you can convert that information into a roadmap for implementation, taking into account the requirements of your customers, processes, technology, data, risk and regulatory. So Alina, what do you see as the biggest challenges for our listeners implementing the DDO regime? Doug, I've already talked about the expectations around monitoring. I think the other thing that the industry is grappling with is preparing TMDs. And just to remind you, you have to prepare and publish a TMD for every product that falls within the regime. And there are specific content requirements. The guidance has made it clear that you need to set out the key attributes of a product. That means explaining how the product's key attributes align with the objectives, financial situation and needs of your target market. Also, you'll have to explain how the distribution conditions you've chosen will make it likely that consumers within the target market will buy the product. By distribution conditions, I mean things like the product cannot be sold via outbound telephone calls or the product must be sold only through a financial advisor. And we haven't even mentioned data yet. All in all, that's a lot of pretty detailed information that will need to be carefully articulated. And to add an extra degree of difficulty, you also need to remember that while the TMDs are not necessarily intended to be read by customers, they will be made publicly available. So you have to write them in a way that your target market will understand them. That sounds like a huge and complex task and all to be done by the 5th of October, particularly given the volume of products many of our listeners' firms offer in the market. I am not at all surprised that this drove a streamlining and simplification of product offerings in the UK. Yes, I know. And one of the other things that I'd like to call out is that it's also going to affect timeframes for implementing the regime. And that's the fact that it requires significant transfer of data between issuers and distributors, and particularly distributors reporting back to issuers across a range of data points. And what many UK product issuers found was that they simply didn't have appropriate contracts in place with intermediaries. So lots of third-party contracts were reviewed and repapered to include new requirements around data capture, monitoring and exit clauses, which helped issuers and distributors to fulfil their obligations. Abigail and Alina, thank you so much for your great insights on the DDO regime. Any final thoughts to share? I have one last point, Doug. The DDO reforms are closely tied to other changing regulatory requirements, which are also coming into effect throughout 2021. Some of these changes will also inform the way financial products will be designed and distributed across the industry. I'm talking about examples like extending unfair contract term prohibitions to insurance contracts, broadening the anti-hawking provisions and the deferred sales model for add-on insurance. Other changes will act as broad enablers for the process, system and cultural changes that will be required under DDO. So things like complaints management, breach reporting, the financial accountability regime and claims handling becoming a regulated financial service. You really have to take into account the interrelationships between all these changes when planning for DDO. So DDO, a significant change for the financial services industry. There's a lot of upside in terms of becoming more genuinely customer centric, but don't underestimate the amount of time and effort required to prepare. Thanks Abigail and Alina for your time and thank you for everyone listening today. This is the first in a series of podcasts on the financial services risk and regulatory environment. If you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, please follow this series so you're notified when we release upcoming episodes. We welcome feedback and suggested topics 
for future podcasts. You can email us at financialservices at au.ey.com. Stay tuned for the next episode.